You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. When is God pleased is the title of my sermon today. As I was studying this week, I came across a scripture that made the statement that the Lord was pleased, that it pleased God, that He was pleased. And I thought, well, what is He pleased about? When is He pleased? How is He pleased? And so I started going through the scriptures and looking for that, that phrase of when God is pleased or God is pleased to see what we could learn on when God is pleased. Because we've heard the saying before, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so I want to know when God is happy. And is there something that I can do to bring a smile to his face? Is there something that has been done that has brought a smile to his face? We saw in the offering that God loves a cheerful giver. He is pleased when his people are cheerful givers. The first thing I see and the first scripture I see is Luke chapter 3, that God was and is pleased with his son. The answer is always Jesus in church. That's always the first answer. So we got to talk about it. We talked about um, baptism in our series last month, and we're going to highlight a little bit of it. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which says, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. We see this, this story spoken many times in the Gospels. That It's a story that we recognize when a story uh, is repeated multiple times in the Gospels, that there's something important that, that happened there that we need to learn about, that we need to hear about, that, that God is telling his son, who has willfully given up his throneship to come down to heaven to become a man, that he is well pleased, that he has been faithful in what he has done up to this point, that he has been obedient in everything that he's done up to this point, and God is saying, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. We see not too long after that, that, God, that Jesus is then sent into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And the thing that the devil is questioning him is, are you God's son? Does God care about you? Is there something? Are you hungry? Then make bread. Why don't you worship me and I'll give you all that you see? Why don't you jump off the top of the ledge and see if the angels and God will protect you? So he has in his back pocket the Lord's voice speaking to him, You are my son in whom I am well pleased. From that point forward, when he came out of the water, he had that statement from God that carried him and helped him through everything that he did. As his people as the Jewish people, as his, the, the religious people rejected him, pushed him away, as they crucified him, even when he's yelling out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the back of his head, he has to remember, you are my son in whom I am well pleased, which is why at the end, right before he gives up his ghost, right before he dies, he says, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. 
He had no feeling, had no idea where God was. He had never felt this rejection before, but he yelled one more faith declaration as he was leading. Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit because I know you're well pleased in what you've said before. You'll do it again. Let's look at another scripture, Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Jesus had just healed somebody in front of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were mad like normal. They were trying to stir up the crowd. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him. And he healed them all. He said, how am I going to get back at these Pharisees for being mad at me about healing somebody? Well, I'm just going to heal the whole group. I'm just going to heal everybody. And he warned them not to make it known. Verse 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Now he's about to quote, Matthew's about to quote some scripture from Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 42. And this is the prophetic word about the Messiah that God is speaking about his son in Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. Thank God for that. Verse 19, and he will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory. And look at verse 21, and in the name, and in his name, Gentiles will trust. All the way back in Isaiah, the Lord is speaking about his Messiah, his son, his king that is coming, and he says that he is well pleased. And even in that prophetic scripture, he says, and in his name, the Gentiles will trust. Unfortunately, there's a lot of things now in this world that we are questioning in regards to trust. Do we trust the government anymore? Do we trust social media? Do we trust the politicians do we trust that one mask will work, two masks, now three masks? Do we trust we have the right mask? Do we trust in our vehicles? Do we trust in the banks? Do we trust in the stock market? What do we trust in anymore when it seems like the strongholds of America are seemingly crumbling and starting to fall in some way, shape, or form? And Isaiah, all the way back then, gives us something that we can trust in. Matthew, who is a disciple who saw Jesus, remembers this and puts this in and tells us even then, in his name, the Gentiles will trust. And things on the outside of this church and world are falling apart. We can still hold on to the chief cornerstone in whom God is well pleased. And if God is well pleased in his son, then we can put our trust in him and be well pleased in him as well. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Colossians chapter 1, Paul is speaking to the church of Colossae, and he says, For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. Verse 20, And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness, all the things, whether in heaven, whether on earth, 
were completed through him. And how were they completed? He made peace with it through the cross. Throughout the Old Testament, we see over and over in several different instances that God is speaking and he says, I'm tired of animal sacrifices. I'm tired of the smell. I'm tired of uh, the offerings. I'm tired of them. The Old Covenant was only designed to be temporary, to shadow things that were to come. And God was tired of blood sacrifices, of the animals, of the bulls, of the things, of the old covenant. And finally, it says in Colossians here, that he had the whole fullness completed because of peace on the cross. Because of what Jesus did. And because of what Jesus did in his sacrifice, his one time, his propitiation, which means complete, final, one time, done, it pleased the Father. He said, I love that smell. I love the smell of my son's blood because I know that it accomplished and did what it's supposed to do, what these animal sacrifices tried to do for so many years. He did in one day, in a couple of hours on the cross. God was and is still well pleased with his son. The second thing, second scripture that I saw is that God was pleased to bruise His Son. Going back to Isaiah, prophetic book written by a prophet in one of the most prophetic messianic chapters, Isaiah 53, verse 10. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He has put Him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It says in the scriptures, before Jesus even shows up, it pleased the Lord to bruise his son. That word pleased means pleased with desire, delight. That word bruised means to crush to destroy, to literally and figuratively bruise. Why would God be pleased to bruise His Son? That sounds like child abuse in its simplest form. (laughs) That He was pleased to bruise His Son. We have to go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Adam and Eve have sinned. They've committed the ultimate crime against God because of what the serpent did and said. And God is now bringing correction. God is now bringing a curse upon the serpent. And this is what he says in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Her seed being capitalized, talking about Jesus prophetically all the way at the beginning. Her seed. And look, he shall bruise your head. Her seed shall bruise your head, little y. And you, little you, talking about the devil, shall bruise his heel, capital H, talking about Jesus. So why did it please the Lord to bruise his son? 
Because as he's putting the sin, as he's putting the shame, as he's putting all of that on him at that moment, he's fulfilling this prophecy because he says, as much as I'm bruising my son, I'm bruising that devil. Just like this word says that I'm going to bruise your heel. I'm going to destroy the works of the devil is what the scripture says. So as he's putting this punishment upon his son, knowing full well that his son was the one who offered himself up as the sacrifice. It says in the scriptures that his son, Jesus, was the slain lamb before the foundations of the world. Before this even happened, God already had a plan to save humanity. And Jesus, being his only son, says, send me, Lord, I'll go. I'll take care of it. I'll restore it. If they mess up, if they sin, I'll take care of it. I'll be the sacrifice. However it has to happen, I'll be the sacrifice. And it pleased the Lord to bruise his son so that he could save you and me and all of the world. And through bruising his son, he made true to this prophetic word to the devil. And he says, I'm going to kick you right in the teeth. Because of the bruising that's happening to my son, there is retribution, there is a penalty that will be paid, and you will be destroyed. It says in Colossians that he made a showing of the devil and the principalities of the air when this happened. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Look at Genesis chapter 3, I'm sorry, Psalms 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for life. Sometimes when we read the Old Testament and we read the New Testament, we look at this schizophrenic God. In the Old Testament, he was real angry. He was killing everybody in the Old Testament. If you disobeyed him, you were dead. Fire and brimstone's coming down. A flood is going up. The earth is opening up and swallowing people. And some of those things are to his own people for disobeying him. But something happened, something changed. Because when we read in the New Testament, God appears to not be angry anymore. Because his anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Because he bruised his son. He took out all his anger upon his son, and he got it out of his system. And it pleased him to do that, so that he could now be called Father. He wasn't called Abba Father. He wasn't ever addressed as Father in the Old Testament. And then Jesus shows up and starts talking about the Father. And all of these Pharisees start saying, who are you talking about? Who do you think that you are that you can call him Father? And he introduces God now as the Father. And then Paul shows up on the scene and he doesn't just introduce God to us as the Father. He introduces God to us as Abba Father. That he was well pleased in putting his son on that cross, paying that price. He got it out of his system. Angry for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. That weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That God was only, Jesus was only on that cross for a short amount of time, was only in the grave for only three days. But now that he is alive and well, joy comes in the morning. It's why we celebrate Easter. It's why we celebrate 
that we now are in an area, in a place, in time in history where there is joy, unspeakable joy that you can walk in. Perfect love cast out all fear. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That you can encounter the Father. You can encounter the Holy Spirit. You can encounter His gifts. God was pleased to bruise His Son. A couple more and we're finishing up. Number three, God is pleased in the gospel message and preaching. God is pleased in His Son and that His Son willfully gave up His life, came down to earth. God was pleased when His Son died on the cross. He took out all wrath, put all sin, put everything on His Son so that we could walk in freedom. And now that we are able to walk in freedom because of what His Son did, it says that He's pleased in the gospel message and preaching. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, but look, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Right now, all over the world, there are hundreds, if not thousands, if not potentially millions of pastors standing up and preaching to their congregations right now. And it says that when you preach the foolishness of the message, it pleases the Father. Because He knows that the only thing that can save people is the foolishness of the message. That Christ died for your sins. He was buried in a tomb and He rose again the third day. If we think about that, that truly is a foolish message. That there's a man who showed up 2,000 years ago who claimed that he was God, who was birthed by a virgin, who did miracle signs and wonders, who had a following, and then was found guilty, nailed to a tree, just like all other criminals did in the Roman time. And then we were told that he rose from the dead. And that many people saw him. And then he rose and went back to heaven. And because of what he did on that cross, believing on that will get us the opportunity when we die to go to his house and live with him for eternity. And if we don't die, the scripture says that he's going to return in the clouds and he says the dead in Christ are going to rise first. They're going to meet God in the air and then we which are alive and remain will go up with him. It's foolishness. It's craziness to think. But we believe it. And it says the foolishness of that message pleases the Father. And it saves those who believe. That's why it's so important as a church and as a pastor to continually preach the foolishness of that message. The gospel message of Jesus over and over and over. Whatever words I say in between scriptures can help by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but it's His Word that is active and breathing. It's the gospel message about Jesus that saves people. I am a man just like you are a man and a woman, and I have no ability to save you at all. But the words that I can preach and speak to you, that you believe in the gospel, is what can save you. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. This is Paul speaking right after he makes this statement. And he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom to declaring to you the testimony of God. Look at verse 2 as I stumble through the scripture. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is Paul. This is Paul who wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. You've read his writings. It is sustained time. We have read them. People have interpreted them through different translations. But we have had the ability to read what God has given him. He says over and over again, it wasn't man that gave me this revelation. It was Jesus Christ himself that gave me this revelation. And he writes these words and he goes from church to church, from city to city. He is stoned. He is beaten. He is shipwrecked. He is hungry. He is all of these things. And he makes this statement. He says... I don't come in in wisdom of speech. I'm not good at what I say. I'm not good with words. And me as a Cajun from Louisiana who doesn't have the best dialect and, and English language comprehension, it gives me such hope to know if he struggled. And praise God, there's hope for me. There's hope for all of us pastors that are out there. And the only thing that he was determined to bring and speak to these people was Christ and Him crucified. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. How then shall they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of God. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sin? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That last section of scripture is from the Old Testament. This is another prophetic word from the Old Testament. In your Bible, it's probably italicized. I think it's Nahum is where that comes from. I could be wrong. I've got a lot of... Scripture's running through my head from last night, but it might be Nahum is where that scripture's found. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Not the gospel of anger, not the gospel of sin, the gospel of peace. That word gospel means to announce good news means good tidings or message. That word peace, I love the word peace. It means a state of national tranquility, exemption from the rage and havoc of war. That the, the message that beautiful feet bring to you every Sunday, that evangelists are bringing all throughout the nation and all throughout the world, that missionaries are going and bringing, is this right here, the gospel of peace, that war is over. The devil has been defeated. He is no longer in charge or in control. Jesus is on the throne. His foot is now, this earth is now his footstool. He is now in control. And it is good news that if you believe on his name. At whatever time, whatever season, whatever moment you're in, you call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. How beautiful the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. I got saved when I was three years old, the day before I turned four, August 27th, 1990. And I was laying in bed as me and my mom were praying, and we were praying for the salvation 
of our family, our extended family. My older brother um, had already gotten saved at that point. He's a year older than me. Um, and I think to an extent, uh, he was rubbing that in. Uh, you know, when the older brother or the older sibling does something that uh, you want to do um, and you want the opportunity to do. And so we're praying for the salvation of my family. And I asked my mom, what is salvation? And why are we praying for salvation for our family? So my mom, in the easiest way to explain to a four-year-old what salvation was, explained to me the gospel message. And I said, well, we're praying for the salvation of them, but are you worried about my soul at all, mother? Joking, I didn't say that. I asked her, I said, well, how can I be saved. She led me in a prayer, and I got saved in a bedroom, in an apartment in Lake Charles, Louisiana at four years old. Around Easter time last year, maybe last year, two years ago, I think it was last year, Maddie was laying in bed with Noah, and they were praying and talking, talking about God, reading the Bible, praying, doing whatever. And Noah at five years old, asked the question, what is salvation and what does it mean to be saved? My wife had the opportunity to lead my son in a prayer and have him accept Jesus into his heart at five years old. My older brother, when he got saved, got saved in kids' church, saw some show, some puppet show, some something, and went and talked to the lady afterwards and led her in the prayer that the, each and every one of you have a story of when you got saved. And more than likely, it's, it's not the same story that I have and not the same story that the person to your left or right has as well. Because the foolishness of that message can happen anywhere at any time. You can get saved by listening to music. You can get saved by listening to somebody on the radio. Miss Brenda has a puppet show up there every Sunday, and your children can get saved up there. You can go up there and listen to that same puppet show and experience the gospel grace message that Jesus died for your sins, he was buried in a tomb, and he rose again the third day. That gracious message, that gospel of peace can be preached anywhere at any time, and that is why it pleases the Father that the smallest of children can experience the salvation, all the way up to the oldest of people who have the hardest of hearts who have rejected God and turned them away their entire life can still experience the gospel of peace when a preacher stands up there and delivers that sermon. But you know what? It's not just on the preachers. It's also on you as well that you have been called to go out and be a preacher as well and share that gospel message, that good news. You see, we've been duped. We have thought in America, in our lives, that when we hear good news, there's always a catch. When we hear good news, we think, ah, I don't know if I can believe that. Hey, there's a deal on a car. There's a deal on a house. You get an email that says there's a prince in Africa who has a billion dollars, and somehow you're in the bloodline, and you're going to get it if you just respond with your credit card number to that email. We think, this is good news. The title says good news. As a disclaimer, do not respond to that email. That is not, it is not a good, it's not a good email. We have taken jobs. We've had kids. 
We've gotten married. We've done things in life where we heard was good news, but then we got duped and we thought, what just happened? And it's denigrated the gospel because that's called the good news. And when we hear the gospel message, all of a sudden we start asking questions. What's the catch? What's the good thing? What's the bad thing? Something's going to happen. Something's going to change. There's got to be a catch, and that is the foolishness of the gospel that there is no catch. That's why the Jews were so mad. When you read in Paul all of his writings, the Jews were so mad because they kept going to the Gentiles and saying, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. You have to do this. You have to do that. And Paul says, no, you don't. What the Holy Spirit said to the people for the Gentiles is believed and you'll be saved. No, there has to be more. And the Jews got so mad that they kept killing Paul over and over and over. They stoned him, and it says he would just get up and go back into the city and keep preaching. After I got stoned and woke up, I don't know if I'd keep preaching after that. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know if I'd go right back into it, but it's the foolishness of the gospel that that is what saved, and that is what pleases the Father. Two more, and we're finishing I mean, are these kids alive or they just all, we've got like a WWE wrestling ring up there. Oh my God. (laughs) If, if, uh, I just assumed it was Eliza destroying something up there. (laughs) She got away from Maddie. Two more and then we'll finish. God is pleased with his church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleases. Another definition of it is just as he wills. And look further down in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ, and now you are the members individually. So it says in the scriptures that God is pleased with where he's placing the body of Christ and the individual Members And just to make sure, Paul is telling the church in, in Corinth, hey, you're the body of Christ. Don't forget that. And you're also individual members. God is pleased with the church, and God is pleased with this church, because one, it is his church, and because two, you are here. God's pleased that this church is here, and he placed this church here for such a time as this. He's moved and maneuvered people all over The area, he's moved and maneuvered people all over the states, all over the country to get us all here for such a time as this. And it pleases him that this church is here. And he's also maneuvered you as the members of the body of Christ here. Just like he's moved and maneuvered people to the other churches and the churches that are here in the community, he's placed them in those churches, he's placed you in this church He's placed people in the churches that they're supposed to be in because there's something that they've got to offer to this church, to this body, to this community. And this church has something to offer to you, to your body, to your family. And it says that it pleases him. That God has this huge chessboard up in heaven of all the churches all over the world, of all the members. I can just see him moving and he's talking with angels and they're moving the church here, and we've got to move a pastor here, and we've got to do this here. We've got to bring angels over here, and this church is struggling. Let's bring this here, and let's do this here. 
that he's building his church. It says in the scriptures, Jesus says, I'm going to build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And it pleases him as he's moving and maneuvering that it's not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident that you're here today, that God has moved and maneuvered and made a way for you to be in this church at this point at this time because there's something that you can offer to this church and there's something this church can offer to you to help you grow and to pull the giftings out of you and also to use those giftings here at the church to flow. It says it pleases him. And the last thing we have, and I'm finishing with this, God is pleased when you believe. He's pleased when you believe and have faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, number one, that's salvation, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That when you pursue him, he's actually going to answer. He's actually going to show up. He's actually going to be there for you. So this scripture says, without faith it is impossible to please him. So that means the opposite is also true. With faith, it's possible to please him. That he is pleased when you believe in him. At the simplest form. Salvation is completely putting your trust in him. Believing in him and what he did for you, what he did on the cross was good enough for you, was good enough to take care of your sins, past, present, and future, was good enough to get you into heaven whenever you die, will get you good enough to wherever the rapture happens and you're no longer standing on earth but you're standing in heaven. It's putting a trust in him, believing in him over whatever happens out in the earth and in the world, believing that he's the healer even though you've seen sickness in your own body and in people's bodies around you. Even though you believe that He is the healer, He saves, He restores, even when you don't see that in your surrounding, and you say, you know what, I'm going to choose to believe God's Word over my surroundings, over what I see, over my emotions, over what my physical eye sees. I might not see the answer right now, but I choose to believe Him over what my natural eye is seeing. And it says, when you do that, it pleases the Father. That I want you to know that God is pleased by you today. He's pleased. He's looking down and He's smiling at you. He's smiling at His Son. And when He looks at His Son and He looks at you, He sees His Son. Because the Scripture says that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. That just as He is, so are we on this earth, it says in the Scriptures in 1 John. As He is, so are we. That when He sees us, He sees Jesus. We're His sons and daughters. And he's proud of, if He's proud of Jesus, He's proud of you. There might be people out in this world that aren't proud of you. And there might be people out in this world that have told you they're not proud of you. That they're disappointed in you. That you failed them. That you've never met their expectations. That you are a nobody. You're no good. Whatever they have said. And I'm sorry, number one, that they said that. People should never, never take the opportunity to degrade anybody. But I want you to know that your Heavenly Father is pleased with you today. That even if nobody else in this world is pleased with you, your Heavenly Father is. And He's smiling down upon you. And you can please Him even more by believing Him. Being involved in His church. He loves you and He will always love you. So be encouraged by that today. What pleases the Father? He's well pleased with His Son. He was well pleased to bruise Him on the cross. 
He's pleased by that foolish gospel message and the preaching that is done by it. He's pleased with his church, and he's pleased with you when you believe. Amen? Let's stand up today. Father, we thank you that you are pleased with us. We thank you that you are pleased with your son, that you're pleased with what was done to your son on that cross so that we could now walk boldly into your throne room of grace and obtain grace and mercy. Father, I thank you that you are pleased with us today. Father, there are potentially people here today who have people in their close circle that aren't pleased with them and have voiced their frustration and disappointment in whatever their decisions are. And Father, I ask you to help them with that today. Holy Spirit, I ask you to remind them that you love them, that you care about them, that your heart is for them, that you only want to see victory in their lives, you only want to see salvation in their lives, you only want to see good things in their lives. And Father, I thank you that we are reminded simply that you're pleased with us today. And that we choose to believe you over everything else that comes against us. Greater are you that's in us than anything that can try and come against us in this world. And we believe and we declare that we will trust you at all times. No matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in our lives, we choose to believe this book and your word over anything else. Because your word is active and living and breathing and ready to attack anything that comes against us. So therefore, we put on the full armor of God, and we hold that sword of the Spirit in our hands, and we get ready to defend anything that tries to come against us. Father, I thank you that your scripture says, and you, you speak over your people, that right now in Jesus' name, they are healed. Right now in Jesus' name, they have the mind of Christ. Right now in Jesus' name, they are the head and not the tail. Right now in Jesus' name, everything they put their hands to must prosper. Right now in Jesus' name, they are the salt and light of the earth. Right now in Jesus' name, you are on their side, and they have the victory in everything that they do. Now, Father, protect your people, bless your people, cause them to prosper in everything that they do. Bless them and be gracious to them and shine your face upon them and bring them back safely next week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you all on Valentine's Day. Take care, family. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.